Welcome to the Dare to Multiply podcast. On this podcast, we help passionate Jesus followers become courageous, obedient disciples who impact their communities for the kingdom of God. I'm your host, Cynthia Anderson, a disciple multiplication coach and trainer. I'm going to show you how to make and multiply disciples in your area. God's got great things ahead for you. Let's dare to multiply. What would it look like if those spectators, those church pew sitters who come to church every week would become mature disciples in love with Jesus, who were being missional in their communities, their lives are transformed, they're imitating Christ. What would that look like? What kind of transformation would happen in your community? We're going to be talking today. I'm talking today with Un Strasser. She is the author of a book called Centering Discipleship, which is all about getting the discipleship message and the mission of Jesus to go and make disciples back to the center of everything we do. She's had some amazing experiences doing this. She lives in Hawaii. She's going to tell us a lot about that. And I'm really looking forward to this interview. I know you're going to learn a lot from In. So we'll be right back with that in just a moment. Are you busy but not seeing the fruit you long for? Dissatisfied with your present level of impact on those around you? Are frustrated with traditional methods of discipleship that don't seem to be effective? If so, the Getting Started in Disciple Making Movements course may be just what you need. Inside the Getting Started program, you'll get access to a step-by-step proven approach to making and multiplying disciples. Not only will you receive 25 short and practical video teachings spread out over six modules, but you'll have a chance to connect with others for group coaching via our monthly Zoom calls. And even more importantly, you'll become part of a global community of like-minded people from all over the world who are passionately committed to following Jesus and impacting others around them. If you want to get unstuck and begin moving forward as a disciple who makes disciples, I encourage you to go to courses.dmmsfrontiermissions.com and sign up for this powerful program today. And now to today's episode. Well, it is my great privilege to have a chance to uh, introduce our guest today. And her name is Un Strasser. And Un, it's so great to have you here. Welcome to the Dare to Multiply podcast. And um, I'm just really honored that you would take time um, out of your schedule to be with us and looking forward to learning from you and from this conversation. And today we're going to be talking about from spectators to mature disciples. And you have a book out that has that as the subtitle. I saw that and I was like, wow, what a great topic. That's something that's so important for all of the people I know who are um, listening to this Dare to Multiply podcast and wanting to multiply mature disciples, see people move from spectators into that place where they're multiplying disciples themselves. And um, I love your book. I'm looking forward to hearing more about it. It's awesome. Really, really great job on that. But first of all, and just tell us a little bit about yourself and um, yeah, where do you live? How did you start to get interested in making disciples? And um, I know you're a medical doctor. That's really interesting as well. So yeah, tell us a little bit about yourself. 
Yeah, thank you so much, Cindy, and thank you for this opportunity. Oh man, I can't tell a little bit about my story unless like there is a context. So I was born in South Korea. My family immigrated to the United States um, uh, to Philadelphia. So I did all my 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 growing up, uh, becoming an adult in West Philadelphia. Uh, okay. Met my husband. Uh, we had three kids, then we moved uh, to, to Hawaii about 15 years ago. So that's where we're at now. Um, okay. I have always been a co-vocational uh, pastor. I'm the co-vocational lead pastor of uh, a local community, uh, missional community, um, missional communities multiplying here in Honolulu, Hawaii um, uh, for the past six years. Uh, this is our second uh, a church plant. I've been in ministry for uh, for about 20 years, but I'm co-vocational. So I'm also a physician like you, like you mentioned. Um, and it was actually really a pivotal point in this second church plant to be able to model what discipleship could actually look like that actually mm. was a benefit to be co-vocational uh, versus vocational. Um, this is not to say that every leader and every church leader needs to be co-vocational. I just know that I get to also live in, in um, uh, a benefit from, from living this way because it already from the get-go convinces uh, a group of people that you're modeling for what discipleship could look like that, oh, actually it's not just professional ministry leaders mm -hmm. who are the only ones who are called to disciple others, that it's actually me and you and everybody in our community that are also given that same call. That's not a special leadership call, but it's the same call to all of us. So um, yeah, my, my life has been probably thinking through discipleship and how to uh, quote unquote normalize it in uh, the Western mm -hmm. church world uh, because I just believe so wholeheartedly uh, in this work. Yeah, that's so amazing. And I, I love that. I, I was thinking to myself as you were talking, I wonder if the Apostle Paul did tent making partly to show that, you know, not only to earn money and have enough to provide for himself, but also to demonstrate um, that it can be done, that you can be a normal person working a normal job, you have a family, you have a life, and you're making disciples and you're multiplying groups of disciples and um, so important. And I love that you gave the, you know, sort of disclaimer that not everybody is called to do that. But um, it is such a great encouragement, I'm sure, for the people around you to see that you're not just working any job. You're working an intense job <laughs> that's demanding, um, you know, and takes a lot. But you're still very much involved and make time and have time to live a healthy, abundant life and make disciples as you're going about that. Um, curious to hear how you do that. And I'm sure people who are listening, you know, want to hear more. I know I do. But um, tell us, first of all, you know, I don't want people to, who only get to tune in for a little while to miss hearing about your book. Um, your book is called Centering Discipleship, right? Mm -hmm. And um, tell us a little bit, why did you write this book? And how did this even come about? Yeah, um, I wear, I think it's, probably fair to say that most females wear about 10 different hats in our lives, right? <laughs> and so, you know, uh, the, the pertinent ones, uh, one is I do do a lot of consulting and coaching 
uh, uh, for church uh, planters, remissioning pastors, uh, marketplace leaders, community development um, uh, uh, workers. So a lot of the questions around it, especially in the church planting world and remissioning world, has been around discipleship, right? If you're trying to, anytime that leadership wants to talk about growth or what, how do you actually have a growth edge for your church or, or what you're trying to think about in terms of multiplication, for me, I'm like, if we don't have clarity on what it is that you actually want to multiply, then how would you, uh, how would you know uh, what it is that you're, you're doing? Um, mm. And so uh, I think the clarity is in uh, if we don't actually understand what it means to move discipleship, which is at best on the periphery of our churches, then how do we actually begin to center discipleship to the life of our communities, whether it's marketplace, you know, leadership or or even Christian community development uh, uh, environments. I think that, that if we don't center the topic of discipleship, if we don't center the equipping of disciples, if we don't clarify the definition of a disciple, then we will never know what we're actually trying to grow through or multiply uh, for. Uh, that's mm. why I think that a lot of these conversations and my I myself, I was looking for 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 other materials and books and as people were asking me questions. And I just found a lot of things that were maybe some suggestions on soul care, maybe. Right. Mm -hmm. A lot of times discipleship has has not dwindled down, but it just got compartmentalized as maybe some soul care, uh, emotional health. Right. Those kinds of things. They're wonderful. We all need it. I just think that that's probably one aspect of how a person will mature to be more like Christ. Right. Um, mm -hmm. Some some um, uh, discipleship materials were more so about uh, what is the message of the Bible. Right. Or the Bible, the biblical story. Right. And then it turns an entire community of people to think that the only way that I am more holy or more discipled is if, if, if I can know more about the Bible. And I'm like, ah, you'll probably be really great at like biblical trivia, but I'm not so <laughs> certain how much more of a mature imitator of Jesus you're becoming, right? So a lot of mm. these kinds of questions, uh, clarifying questions help me to, to be like, okay, if we were to actually clarify what discipleship is and if we were to clarify what are markers of maturity as disciples and imitators of Jesus, if we are, were able to clarify that within our own churches, our congregations, communities, we probably will be have a better chance at centering discipleship instead of just putting it in the periphery at best. And maybe some discipleship uh, uh, programs, teachings, we kind of throw that word around as like mentorship, maybe, um, mm -hmm. or, or counseling or accountability. But mm -hmm. I, I am just and a strong belief that it's very different from those things, mm. you know, and it's so pivotal to the life of the church. Mm. So good. So centering discipleship is all about bringing discipleship back to the the center to, of everything we do, whether it's community development, whether it's church work, whatever it is, looking at how do we get that that command that Jesus gave us to make disciples to be at the center. And um, I want to read a quote from your, your first chapter. You said, somehow along the way, discipleship became synonymous with assimilation into church culture. Making disciples came to mean helping people participate in Christian activities. While being a disciple of Jesus involves partnering with the local church, it's by no means the whole picture or the full picture. If we honestly and humbly examine ourselves, we must admit to living in self-deception. So 
Um, I, I love that. So, so clear and so true and, and, and very pointed. You know, we are deceived if we think that discipleship is just about getting people involved in Christian activities or um, to pray a prayer and call themselves a Christian, you know, and, and show up at church once in a while, that that's what discipleship is. And um, there's so much more that Jesus died to offer us in that way. And I'm really excited to, to hear more. But yeah, um, how about if you could start out by just sharing maybe a story of somebody that you know who has moved from spectator to a mature disciple as you've worked with them, trained them, maybe in your own church or even maybe your own story. How'd that happen for you? Yeah, no, that's good. That's, I love this. My favorite part of any of these kinds of conversations is to be able to be like, you know, real stories matter, right? Mm-hmm. One of the, 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 the biggest questions that people ask me is like, can we really do this? If I put in the hard work, you know, and, and wearing my leadership hat and, and really thinking about a centering discipleship, working on a discipleship pathway, you know, all those kinds of things, does it really work? And for me, I'm just like, uh, one, we won't know unless we try. Mm-hmm. We won't know unless we've made plenty of mistakes because all of this right now, especially in a Western uh, church world, it's pioneering work. To think up, to think about centering discipleship actively and intentionally, right? And so, I think these kinds of stories really, really do matter. Um, uh, one one person in our community, um, her name is Kelsey. I write her about her in the book. Um, she's probably a person who she she happens to be a hospice care nurse. Um, uh, she self-proclaimed that she probably looks like she's 12 years old and no one will ever be convinced that she's old enough, you know. Um, but because of the look, right, um, being female, looking younger, uh, being a transplant in Ho- in Hawaii, a lot of the um, quote-unquote leadership roles in the church, in an established church setting, uh, 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 she'll, she'll, she'll always be missed, right? And so... Um, in a previous church context, you know, she was probably the, the, the star greeter. She's so kind and she's such a wonderful personality and everyone always connected uh, to Kelsey, right? But we knew that there was some a bigger dream in her. So in, in this church, plan, we, uh, she was invited in to just go through a discipleship pathway together. We started with about 15 people. Um, this was my main work for the first year was 90% of my job was just focused on these uh, 15 uh, people as we connected to doing, you know, community dinners and, 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 and those kinds of things. But discipleship was the main thing uh, focus for that first year. And Kelsey was part, a part of that group. So going through our, our unique discipleship pathway, you know, learning about what it means to imitate Jesus, all those kinds of things. What got birthed in Kelsey is the fact that she loves seniors. She loves the elderly. And she started feeling like, oh, maybe God just didn't make me a hospice care nurse because it pays the bills. Or it's like, I just like sitting with um, a senior population. So year two, we uh, she, she was one of the, the teams that, that multiplied into another missional community. So a missional community for us is a discipleship core, about 12 to 15 persons who are actively being discipled through a discipleship pathway. That group is tethered to what we call um, a missional community, where it's a group that's open to both Christians and non-Christians, but they act and live on mission together, right? Some sort of identified space of mission. So Kelsey and her team that she 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 got together, a volunteer group who also shared a passion for, for seniors. They're called Kupuna here in Hawaii. Um, 
and they located just identified one low-income senior living uh, facility in the neighborhood that they lived in. Uh, um, and so they just did start slowly started doing, you know, bingo nights. What senior group doesn't love bingo night and pizza? So that's <laughs> what they did. That was their in. And what seemed like a very um, a social group gathering, all the while, uh, Kelsey's doing the same thing that she experienced that, that previous year of just discipling that, that small uh, core of people actively, intentionally in the ways of Jesus, right? And you're doing that simultaneously. One of the things they started doing was they just they just did a normal thing, pray before, the, before pizza and bingo. And over time... Uh, the, the seniors, uh, that whole group started growing and growing. And one of the the, the aunties who, who would come regularly, she has a Buddhist background. She's never been to church before. And um, they're like, people were like, okay, who would like to pray before the meal? And this auntie, this Buddhist auntie was like, I, I'll give it a go. And she said, I noticed that you all pray father. Hmm. And I never imagined calling God father. So she just prayed it, imitating what she's been hearing for almost a year at, at pizza bingo night. And then she's just started with Father God. And then she broke down in tears. And then everyone just got to pray for her. It didn't mm. stop there. Throughout the pandemic, this one group started uh, multiplying into three different uh, low-income senior living facilities. It numbers 500 people. Throughout the pandemic, we actually served um, uh, them by providing one month's worth of groceries every single month for, for the entire duration of the pandemic. After that, so that that faithfulness and consistency of living missionally, because these disciples were discipled by Kelsey, who was discipled it, it, it meaningfully that first year, had grew a heart to be able to identify who are my neighbors, who is God calling me to, who are the people that I'm praying for by name? Where is an identified space of mission that God's inviting me to partner in? Right? If discipleship includes all of that, fast mm. forward, and at this point. Uh, this group has actually multiplied their own discipleship cores, that there are discipleship cores within the Kapuna population. These are seniors discipling one another, uh, using the clarity of what's the full gospel? What does it mean to live in thick community, right? Those kinds of things that are unique to our discipleship. Um, and they are continuing to multiply that into the, these other living facilities. So this is what I mean about the power of if you center discipleship as that is the main focus, what would happen to an entire community? It actually would focus on mission. Hmm. It actually would focus on how to neighbor better. It would actually focus on how do we actually communally love our neighbors together and not pursue this very individualistic uh, Christian Christianity that most of our churches have come to be known as. Mm, wow, what a beautiful story. And, you know, there's so many things I love about that story, but I, I love that she was an ordinary person who was not, you know, she had a dream that was bigger than what she was already doing. And I just think there are so many Kelseys you know, that are in churches around the world, not only in the West, but all over the globe, who are people who God's called to to make a difference and to be people of who are missional. And yet they've never been equipped to do it. They've never seen a pathway. Uh, I'd love to hear more about your discipleship pathways and what they look like. Um, you may or may not know, you know, mostly the people who listen to this podcast and who I've been training and teaching are in the church planning movement, disciple making movement um, sort of realm. But I'm super passionate about seeing the, the Western church, the church in Africa, the church in Asia, um, every disciple 
being equipped and mobilized to multiply disciples because there are just so many people who are hurting and broken out there who need to hear about the love of Jesus. And especially in the West, we're in this de-churching period, you know, where so many are leaving the church. And I'm so glad that you're exploring and leading the way and exploring new models, you know, that that can work here. So beautiful story. And I love that it multiplied and it multiplied senior to senior, you know, in these senior communities and so often a neglected community that we don't think about, but people that God has such a heart for and Kelsey had a heart for too. That's beautiful. It's just wonderful. Well, Tell us a little bit more about moving people from spectators to mature disciples. It's not always an easy process, I'm sure. Um, not not every spectator even wants to be a mature disciple. You know, some people like to just go and sit. So, yeah, what are some of the maybe biggest hurdles that you have, you've overcome as a, a leader, a spiritual leader to them and helping them take those steps? What are some of the hurdles that they've had to overcome? Yeah, just talk a little bit about some of the the hurdles or the difficulties? Yeah, I think that, um, so the, the name of our church is Makelo'o. It means presence in Hawaiian. We're like, we want to be a people of presence, present with one another, present in the community around us. And people hear this story, oh my gosh, Un's church is multiplying. You know, we're in year six now. We've, we've had one missional community and now we multiply to, to nine. And now we're going to multiply to 12 by the by the end of the year. People love that part of the, 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 the story, yeah, yeah. centering discipleship. <laughs> oh my gosh. It must mean that year one, you start with one discipleship core, you know, use a pathway and then automatically in six years time, you're going to multiply to 12. I'm like, wow, you know, there's a lot of heartache that happens. Yeah. And, um, and people are just like, how do you actually multiply disciples? And all I'm like, you know, if leaders don't actually understand the gift and art of loving people, mm -hmm. being faithful to people. That discipleship, a lot of the time spent on it, and why I I chose to to just spend that that ninety percent of my time just with that 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 initial discipleship core, is because it takes time to love people well. Mm. I don't know any other vision. You know, I'm a pretty good vision caster, right? But I don't know any vision that is more compelling to people than than being loved by the person who is discipling them in a group that is being challenged to love one another and therefore spilling over to love the community around them. I can't emphasize it enough. If leaders aren't ready to say that centering discipleship also means that I have to actually actively love the people that I am serving and leading alongside of, then I do have to do a lot of other kind of pre preparation work to do mm -hmm. this. Loving people also means that, you know, the, the, the other part of the story is that when we multiplied from year one to year two, from one group to three different missional community leaders, you know, uh, oh my gosh, what an in incredible multiplication plan. What people don't know is that um, for us, we, uh, we always do a one-on-one -on -one conversation with every single person who wants to be a part of this discipleship core because we know that we are centering discipleship by intentionally discipling Christians who are already wanting to be like, yeah, I made my yes to Jesus. I just know that this life is calling more. I just know that God is calling me more to, to what it means to actually live a life of abundance and fullness. We have that conversation so that people are really clear about what the commitment level is. 
that there's going to be challenges uh, as we kind of go through. Imitating Jesus uh, also exposes the places where we're not really great at imitating Jesus. Mm -hmm. It also exposes the place where like, oh, we're going to be in tension, in community, living this closely, life on life with with these people for for an extended period of time because that's what what it takes to love an outside community together. All of that takes work. So the one-on-one conversation is making sure that it's really clear to people that this is not just, you just kind of come and attend a workshop or a teaching opportunity, and then you kind of go on your, your merry way. It actually is an invitation to be like, we're actually, we know that you're, you have a commitment to Jesus. Can you also make a commitment to one another? you know, and therefore make a commitment to that identified space of mission together. And we ask people for just a year, can you do this? You know, what would happen in you? What would happen through you? And what would happen around you because of that commitment? So that calling and that vision casting is really high. From year one to year two, we had 65 people come to our first ever vision day. Oh my gosh, 65 people coming could mean that, you know, there's like 10 different multiplications that could happen, all these things. One-on-one conversations with all 65 people meant that only 12 people at the end of that first year said yes, which meant just one more multiplied uh, missional community space. Mm. So I, it, I hear you talking about kind of this filtering. You're casting vision broadly, and then you're, you're having these one-on-one conversations to really make sure they understand what, what it means to commit to this level of disi- being discipled and being missional with others around them. And you're, you're filtering. Um, you're not just taking all 65 who said, yeah, that sounds awesome. I want to be part of that. And, and that filtering is probably part of the, the reason why you're seeing success, because you did do some filtering and really call for commitment. We see Jesus doing that, don't we? Um, you know, he preached to the crowds, but then he called people to come and pick up their cross and follow him. And not everyone did. But those who did, you know, those are the, the ones that he he invested more in. Yeah, that's so good. Um, I think I interrupted you. And so was there something Oh, else? no, no. I was just going to just add that, you know, a lot of times the biggest hurdles are that people's intentions are not because they want to be equipped to become missional within a community. People, most of the time, are craving, like, I just want to be a, be a part of a community, Mm-hmm. you know, or I just want to be a part of doing something meaningful, you know, mm-hmm. and, you know, I'm like, you know, we can all just get in line, especially in this very post-millennial Gen Z world where all new emerging leaders, everybody wants to do something meaningful, you know, mm-hmm. uh, to do good, right? But I'm just like, I don't think imitating Jesus is just doing good, mm-hmm. right? And so it can't just be doing good and it can't just be about being a part of a thing or a group, right? Mm-hmm. It's both, right? We're being uh, called to imitate Jesus together in community, not in silos. What happens to a group of people who are imitating Jesus together and being uh, beginning to see uh, their community around them through the same eyes that Jesus sees that same community? That's discipleship in a community setting, right? It, it's really challenging people to be like, this is not um, siloed work. This is not just to meet a need so that you have that sense of purpose met. It's also not just to meet a need so that you have that sense of belonging met. 
right? Mm. It's it's redefining what does purpose look like in imitating Jesus and what does belonging look like because we imitate Jesus. Belonging, imitating Jesus, looks like we're going to actually lean into conflict because we love my brother and sister enough that we want to resolve this and actively participate in forgiveness on a regular basis, right? If our discipleship community doesn't include that, it's going to be a lot of uh, shallow uh, relationships that are will be multiplied, right? If we're only going to be discipling people to just do good things, a lot of good service acts will happen, but I guarantee people will not have exercised the arms of knowing how to faithfully be with people, especially when the glitz and, and glitter of it goes away. Mm, yeah, so good. And I think what you're talking about has so much to do with becoming imitating christ becoming like jesus it's not about joining a program it's not about um getting you know having a meeting once a week but it's really this life on life kind of community um learning and growing together in in being transformed by god and his word maybe just describe for us a little bit more what does that community actually look like because i know for a lot of people they they can't get their heads around that. What what does that actually look like when you start having those groups and uh, those missional communities um, or discipleship? As as you took that sixteen or twelve that you started working with for a year, I, I love that you you only ask for a year commitment, and I'm sure many continue far beyond that. Um, but you you kind of starting there. What is what do you do with them when you you get them together? Yeah, I think my biggest advice for leaders is that if we can't, we can be people who are vision casting, but if we don't actually see a vision of a future people that we are convinced and committed to, it's going to be a really, really hard thing to center discipleship in our communities. So, you know, and the question is, do what do our future people look like? Mm. You know, well, how do they behave? How do they participate in the city they live in? How do they get to interact with their neighbors? Uh, what do they look like and stand for in their workplaces? How do they uh, uh, behave within their families, right? In their schools, right? If we're not asking those those questions about a future people, then I don't know how we can paint a vision for our current people about what dis what discipleship is, because discipleship would actually affect all of that. Right. Mm -hmm. um, I think one of the starting points that I they, that I talk about more in the book is um, about if we don't have a future vision of mature markers of discipleship, then we won't have a starting place about what kind of discipleship pathway or how we ought to equip our people to be discipled, you know, and imitate Jesus. Right. So my recommendation is, you know, if you were to boil everything down, uh, one of my really really good friends um, who I do a lot of ministry work translocally uh, work uh, with. Um, I said that, you know, discipleship essentially um, uh, imitating Jesus so that we grow in our spiritual confidence and our social competence. We need both to actively imitate Jesus. I would just add that we can only do that in the setting of a community on mission together. So, you know, my my recommendations for boiled down marks of maturity is that if 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 Jesus is imitation, if, if discipleship is imitation of Jesus, then are people imitating into the maturity of a Christ-like uh, um, character? 
Mm. Are they maturing into Christ-like wisdom? Can they navigate the complexities of their life and this world maturely, right? Um, are they actually maturing in Christ-like theology? Do they think about God the way Jesus thinks about, about God, right? Do they mm. think about how God thinks about humanity the way that Jesus thinks about human beings, right? Do they also make it so that the way that they think and know about God affect the way that they themselves think? Do we actually grow to have the mind of Christ in, in our decision-making, in, in, in how we, we, we think and treat human beings, right? Um, and lastly, it's Christ-like uh, maturity uh, in, in missional living or being sent. Is there an awareness that every disciple knows that the moment that I'm saying yes to Jesus is that I'm following him out towards another group of people? right? Mm. Towards my neighbors, towards my family members, towards my coworkers, right? I think that the, having clarity on those four marks of maturity for every disciple, wherever you, you're at, I work with people in, this, in Southeast Asia, in Japan, in, in West Africa, right? These things are so universal to every single community who's trying to follow Jesus. And then if you have that clarity, then you can start asking, what will it look like for a mature group of people in my community who are growing in mature uh, Christ-like character? What will change about my community? Because that mm -hmm. tells me that that's actually happening, that missional mm -hmm. living is actually happening, right? If leaders actually begin to do that, then they can go back like, what do I need now? to pave the way to bring clarity to my people that God has given me to love and lead so that they will be a little bit more equipped. Mm, yeah. Yeah. That's great. So it's, it's that end visioning as we call it in CPM DMM of this is, this is what we're looking in the kingdom to see, you know, what is it going to look like as people mature, as they're transformed, as they start loving their neighbors well, as they start imitating Jesus better, what's going to be different in, even in our society? Um, and, you know, a lot of times as we're working with people to develop those envision statements, it's, you know, wives won't be beaten anymore. <laughs> you know, there's going to be uh, economic uplift that's going to take place. We're going to see people set free from addictions in our community. What is it that it's actually going to be taking place in the community as a result of this commute, growing, multiplying community of disciples that's taking place? But I, I find it really fascinating. You start with, you're starting with believers. You're starting with believers, challenging them, saying, we know you love Jesus. And, um, you know, are you willing to go the next level, you know, to what that really means? And um, then envisioning with them, what will their lives actually look like? And then how that translates into the community. Really good. Um, yeah, I'm learning a lot. And it's just a, a delight to get a chance to talk to you. But um, let me ask another question here about missional communities. You've referenced that a couple of times. And um, there is another word you used, uh, re remissioning. You talked about remissioning. That's a new word to me, a new word, I think, to a lot of our listeners. Um, what are missional communities in your, you know, what did that, what does that mean to you? What does that look like? And what is remissioning even? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, yeah, those are really great questions. And I, I love when people just ask, and I just tell them, I don't have all the answers, but I sure do can re respond to a lot of a lot of them, right? Um, sure, I think yeah. that that's the, the brink of the collective leadership that that we are in now i think leaders are asking more questions right and trying to define and have clarity around things so i just love it yeah a uh, missional community for, for for us in our local context is a discipleship core 
So that group of committed uh, Jesus followers committing to to one another and committing to uh, a community around them. So it's it's that 12 to 15 group of people who are being discipled with a discipleship pathway, right? Maturing, growing together. And they are tethered to a, a missional community. A missional community is open. Uh, it invites uh, Christians and non-Christians in it. Uh, it probably uh, meets the biggest need of that sense of purpose, sense of belonging. Uh, it, to me, it's like a really wonderful, active, intentional practice space for the disciples in that, that discipleship core to live out how they're being discipled. You know, if we're learning about, you know, and growing about uh, um what does sanctification look like, you know, and we're going through through the fruit of the spirit, then, you know, one of the best places to practice out, am I actually patient? And is the Holy Spirit actually transforming me to be a more patient person? You kind of know that in, in that in that missional community space where you're working with both Christians and non-Christians within that community, you know. So that's like um, the bingo night. Exactly. Is that what you mean? Exactly. Okay. Yep, yeah. Exactly. It's it's our identified space of mission. So uh, we we have um, we have open spaces, which is a, a weekly community dinner uh, as one of them. Another one uh, is a, a neighborhood based arkahuhi, but just on that street, uh, do, doing a houses ministry together. But their na- their neighbors are doing it together. We just have we have a we have a, a marketplace one. It's a it's a business uh, a model missional community where. Uh, this one um, uh, a restaurant is, is is hosting being the living room for for the entire community, right? So so different models of what that missional community space is, but in in general, it's an identified space of mission. There's a clarity on who the people are that we want to serve and minister to and with. Um, there is a clear goal of that, that it's both, uh, we have a goal of every time we have these kinds of spaces that it's 50% uh, Jesus followers and 50% non-Jesus followers. So who we invite, will change who comes uh, to these Mm. gatherings, right? Um, You know, you know, those kinds of things. And then we kind of multiply uh, from there. Remissioning, uh, because I also do, uh, my previous context was remissioning an established church setting to become more thinking about how to center discipleship, right? I think remissioning is the work of what parts of an already established or, or traditional model church or church plant needs to die so that uh, discipleship can actually be centered because we can't do all of it. That's probably one of the biggest mistakes is not pacing out and slowly structuring and restructuring, especially for the work that I do with established churches, how to think wisely and and in, in timely ways, how to do structuring, restructuring so that our churches are remissioned to center discipleship. Mm, yeah, so good. So remissioning is really working with established churches that say, hey, we realize we are missing the boat somewhere here. We want to do things differently. We don't know how to get there. And you're working with them to really look at what needs to what needs to die, what needs to be stripped away. How can we get discipleship back to the center and, and start focusing on it in an intentional way again? And um, yeah, I'm sure there's there's a ton that you could say. We could do a whole podcast just about that, but uh, we won't right now go a little bit deeper. People can, I'm sure, access your resources on that. But um, yeah, really good. Well, time has been going fast, but this has been awesome. Tell me just um, what would you say? We have quite a lot of people who are listening who are from the global south. I love interviewing somebody who's from a Korean background and also a lady. Um 
Yeah, and so so good to hear from you and, and such wisdom that you've shared today for, for everyone. But um, would you speak specifically to our Global South audience and to maybe even women, Asian women who might be listening and saying, you know, it's not so easy always to be doing this church planning thing and uh, multiplying communities, any encouragement that you might have for them? Yeah, I think it probably is a, um, a general encouragement to to anybody just because I'm just like the things that we all of us should be learning from the global south and from pockets of minority leaders uh, whether the minority is because because we happen to be female right I actually think that um, if our male western you know counterpart leaders actually pay attention to the things that that uh, this this particular set of leaders excel at, I think it, it, it is uh, something to be mindful of. Um, I, uh, it's, so th then it's the same kind of advice is, I think it's starting with um, who did God already give you? Mm -hmm. And does that group of people actually reflect the community that we are serving and living with? You know, if that leadership and because if you're thinking about discipleship as these are the future disciple makers who will be making more disciples, I sure hope you're going to start with people who can be imitatable. People, mm. people who look and sound and smell and sing and dance and talk like the people that you are serving. You know, so if your main uh, initial disciple makers look different from the community that you're serving, I think that you have to think about that who question uh, a lot quicker. You know, I think it's also in the, the, the stage when people are centering discipleship and having to come up with a unique localized uh, discipleship pathway. We should be asking who are we inviting into that space that will probably better speak into what what that would look like. What does it mean to share and equip our people in what the full gospel is? How does our current culture listen to the full gospel that I might be missing because I'm limited in my own culture or my own viewpoint? So I need help in, in, in clarifying uh, what those discipleship equipping uh, needs are. So it really is being mindful and being encouraged that, you know, I have a spot here in leadership because I know my people better than probably yeah. anybody else today. You know, God has given me that charge to lead and love these people. And my invitation is how can I share this with others so that we can more fully disciple uh, our people together? Yeah, so good. Well, thank you once again. And it's been wonderful to have you. I've learned so much. I know there's so much more. And um, I'm going to read and dig back into your book. But tell me more. Um, and, and also for those who are listening, how can they get in touch with you or your resources. So where do they buy your book? Um, yeah, share that yeah. with us. Yeah, uh, Centering Discipleship is an, on all platforms around the world, uh, on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, uh, uh, IV, IVP Press. Um, and you can just find all that information on uh, centeringdiscipleship.com. Centeringdiscipleship.com, awesome. Yeah, and um, any any last words as, as we wrap up? Oh, I just really, really believe that discipleship, if we do center it, is a hope for, for the future. I think that yeah. as leadership and churches are changing so much, I think it's actually a simple solution. If we all do this well together, I think it's actually going to connect the church to mission uh, in, in deeper ways than we've seen. 
Yeah, I love ending on that hopeful note. You know, there's there's so many challenges, so many difficulties, and yet as we do this, there is just tremendous hope that the church can be such a glorious shining light that Jesus designed it to be and bring that community transformation. Um, there's a lot of challenges ahead, but there's a lot of hope as we go back to just obeying Jesus. He told us to go make disciples, baptize them, teach them to obey. And as we focus again and center on that, there's a lot of hope for the future, for the church and for the world. So wonderful to have you in once again. And, Thank you. Um, yeah, everybody, go get her book. It's a great book. You're going to love it. And um, I really, I really endorse this book highly. So Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Imagine a world where passionate followers of Jesus come together to multiply, transforming lives beyond imagination. Instead of toiling with little fruit, what if God's abundance flowed beyond your wildest dreams? Picture those you've invested in sharing Jesus freely, creating a ripple effect of disciple-making. In her new book, The Multiplier's Mindset, Cynthia Anderson reveals how shifting mindsets can revolutionize disciple-making. When Cynthia and her colleagues experienced these mindset shifts, they saw enormous results including the launching of 19 multiplying movements in Africa and Asia, transforming tens of thousands of lives. This book will help you discover hidden harvesters, see church members move from passivity to passion, and release the power of simplicity in multiplying disciples. Don't remain stuck. Learn to move toward greater fruitfulness. Visit MultipliersMindset.com and get your copy of The Multipliers Mindset today. What a great interview that was with Un, and I learned a lot. I'm sure you did as well. Here's some of my takeaways. Before we can multiply disciples, we need to clarify what it is that we actually want to multiply. We need to have a vision for who those disciples, those, those Christians, those spectators who are in our churches, who they can become and what it's actually going to look like. Before we begin to multiply, we need to know what it is we're wanting to multiply. I love that. She also talked about you know, this question of can we really do this in the West? And I get asked that question so often. Can disciple-making movements happen in the West? What does it look like? Can it really happen? And uh, I loved her answer. We won't know until we try. And so much of what is what we are doing in the West is re-pioneering. It's, um, it's re-missioning and going back and re-looking at this together. So can it be done? We won't know unless we get out there and try that. That was encouraging to me. And I know it is to you guys as well. And then just this call for discipleship to be central to all we do as the church, as believers. Um, it is the central command of Jesus to make disciples, and it has to become our focus again, and such a challenging call to that. Um, I also liked what she talked about with just uh, the phrase, we need to understand and learn the gift and art of loving people, and how critical and important that is. If we don't learn the art and the gift of loving people deeply, loving people well. If we're not able to model that with a small group of people as leaders, we won't be able to multiply that. And this is such a critical thing. I, I thought that was so important that she said that. Also, she talked about filtering, casting vision widely, 
um, broadly to many people. But then, you know, having those one on one conversations and making sure that people really understand what it is you're calling them to get involved in, and really only being willing to invest your life deeply into those who have made that commitment, they understand what it is that you've asked for. Um, she talked about missional spaces, missional communities, and then being 50% um, non-believers, 50% believers, where together you are on mission to do something to serve your community. And in that missional space, that's where you're rubbing shoulders with, you're, you're uh, living out the life of Christ with others, and um, that's where the, the magic happens, so to speak. That's where the kingdom of God begins to, to move and work, and people are coming to faith, and um, new missional communities are then being birthed out of that. Um, she talked about ask who God has given you to disciple and do these people reflect the community that you are called to serve. And so many times, uh, you know, we're we're choosing people to disciple who don't actually reflect the communities and the people that we we really are focused on reaching. So it's such a good reminder for that. There was so much there in that interview. I hope that you took notes. I did, and I'm going to listen to this one again. And I do encourage you guys to get her book. Um, it's, it's chock full of great insights that are going to help us learn how to make and multiply disciples, help us to dare to multiply. And here's my action step for you. I want you to think about your own life for a moment. How can you this week be intentional about imitating Jesus more fully? What can you do to put yourself in positions where the life of Jesus is flowing out of you? And how can you grow in learning the art and the gift of loving people well? Maybe there's a step that the Holy Spirit is going to show you to take, to, uh, to take this week, to love people more intentionally, um, you can't maybe love everybody in that way, but how can you how can you be intentional in really loving people well that he's called you to serve and um, showing up in their lives in a loving way this week? God bless you guys. We'll see you in the next podcast. That's all we've got for this episode of the Dare to Multiply podcast. One thing that would really help both us and other new potential listeners is for you to rate this show and leave a comment in iTunes, on Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you tune in to listen. Also, make sure to link up with us at dmmsfrontiermissions.com slash blog on social media. And please just share, share, share this podcast with anyone you think might enjoy it. Until next time, remember, God's dreams for us are always bigger than we can imagine.